insight and awareness spiritual explorer, soul intuitive, emotional and spiritual mentor and award-winning author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers to the Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorers podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Nylon. Our guest today is Mathraeli Maniliana, who is a women's empowerment and spiritual teacher, holistic psychotherapist and trauma expert, and the author of an award-winning memoir, Brown Skin Girl, an Indian-American women's magical journey from broken to beautiful. I want to thank you for being here today. And can you tell us a little bit about what what your life story is that you've eloquently put in your book? Thanks so much, Lorraine. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so my life story is um, I grew up in India and my family immigrated to the US when I was 16. And I was in, you know, I went to college and at 22, I fell in love with an American man, and I was studying music, classical piano at the time. And um, when my parents found out that they had in mind an arranged marriage for me, and I was bent on my own personal freedom, <laughs> so there's a huge clash there, um, they took me back to India under the guise of, if you go for three months and still want to be with him, we'll, we'll let you. And I believed them. But once I was there, they said I was never returning and took everything, a passport, wallet, address book, and essentially placed me under house arrest in my grandparents' four-room cottage for a year right? with no access to the outside world, no phone, no, there wasn't email at the time, um, no, no mail, no, no other people, seeing other people other than these two old, my two old grandparents. And so, um, and then the, my mother also took me to the family's spiritual teacher, who was a Swami, who there was just a lot of r- religious indoctrination, you know, the purity culture. And um, so it was, a, it was a really, obviously the darkest year of my life. And I shut down and dissociated and, you know, it was severe trauma. Um, they let me out. And did you believe at that stage you, that this was it? You were never getting out. This was. I didn't know were... how because. Yeah. At twenty-two, as an in in India at that time, if I'd gone to the police, the family owns their daughters. Yeah. I had no rights in that way, and my uncle was police commissioner of the city, so there's no way I would have gotten any help, and. There were no women's organizations or none that I knew of. And and then, you know, my mother told the family that I was on drugs and in a cult to, to quote unquote, protect my reputation. So nobody came forward to help me. So it was, I was really stuck. And without money, there's nothing I could have done in India. I've, even if I just sort of left, I would have been raped and I had no legs to stand on, just, you know, like in the West, you can just leave and you can find your way. But, And I think for us, when we hear stories like this, it's really hard for us to really comprehend what you've experienced because that is so beyond what we believe can occur to us. So we, we have this disconnect to the reality of these experiences. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And, yeah. you know, of course, instilled in me was the whole patriarchal messaging of, you know, it, when, when it, I mean, it was horrendous, just the shock and the, the realization of so much, everything, my life being taken, my life not being mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and out of curiosity, mm-hmm. so, so you were 16 when you came to America. Mm-hmm. Previous to that, did you believe that that was an okay way to be, you know, under that sort of female ownership? And then when you got to America, or was it something that was always in you? Ever since a child, I just had the sense of being different from my family and that I didn't want an arranged marriage. There was yeah. just this Awareness. something, there was something in me that says, I, I want something different. I hadn't obviously thought through the whys and hows. At 16, I still felt like, you know, there was so much ahead of me before I got to marriage. But once I came to the U.S., you know, freedom was intoxicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. <laughs> that's what I've been looking for. <laughs> How does <this> work? <laughs> yeah. See, that's a concept too that we don't understand, isn't it? Like, you know, like right. for, for me, you know, I grew up being asked what my opinion was. I had a father to say, what do you think of that? You know, so I was, I was always asked and I had, I couldn't just say, oh, good, bad or whatever. I had, if I had to have a, not had to, but in the conversations, it'd be like, well, why do you think that? So he would even ask my reasoning and, and what motivated that question, which I didn't know back then was a really good thing to have. Um, I just thought that, I thought everyone had those kind of conversations. <laughs> so, and that's real freedom is when is. you, yeah, when you're, when you're asked to express the truth of your own, what you're thinking now, you know, he often came in with his opinions over the top of it and said, you know, here's my reasons, but it was always where, well, where, what do you think of that? Like taught you to I debate. Love that. I love yeah. that because you're, you're treated as a person, there's respect for your, and, you know, listening and space for your ideas and, and the conversation you know, it's a real that, conversation. Developing you as a human being. I think that's so wonderful. Yeah. That must have been so wonderful. For me, it was more um, culturally, it was about obedience. Mm-hmm. And that a woman essentially, I think, doesn't have the right to her own life. Right. And out of, out of curiosity, were you obedient or were you always pushing up against? What I did was my true self came out when I was not with the family. So with friends or at school or, but, but there was always the, the, the shadow or the, the weight of the family and the culture. And that I, yeah, I didn't have, I knew I didn't have my own freedoms. Like I, I knew, and I, and I, it was only after marriage that I would real, that I knew just, which everybody knew that after marriage, you're free quote-unquote, right. <laughs> <laughs> to whomever they decide. <laughs> so it's, it's, it was, it's very different from the West. I mean, Free things are very different and... now, but at that time, yeah. Yeah. So, And how long ago was that, just so our listeners know? Is that? Yeah, that was in the 1980s. So it's, 80s. it's a while okay. back. Yeah, yeah. it's a while back. Things have come a long yeah. way. Well, that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> So once you realize the importance of freedom 
and then you get sent back, I can see how that's totally devastating. It was totally devastating. And um, I didn't understand it because the, 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 the puzzling thing for me was my family, by Indian standards, was progressive, wanted their daughters to be educated and sent them to college, you know, and even encouraged if they wanted a career. And so it, it really didn't make sense. It wasn't like I was, you know, in a village where, you know, I wasn't expected to have much. So, so that was really puzzling. But really the line was sexuality. My, the freedom of sexuality was not okay. Like I could have a career. I could even be financially independent. But my sexuality, my body was not right. mine. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah. Like as in, that's, yeah, it holds you in a place where you always feel like you're, you are sort of a commodity. Exactly. A possession. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was how I grew up. Like once you're, you're, I was my family's possession till I got married. And once I got married, I would be my husband's possession where I would, I just knew instinctively, like I had to be less than him. It was no question. It was just, that's how life was. And so if you were more educated, did that mean that you had a more successful husband or or you could have ended up with a less successful husband and you just had to dumb down? Or it depends. Correct. Right. Right. If that's whom you ended up with, you would still, there are a lot of Indian women who would have to sort of dumb down. I mean, there are, of course, women who who don't. So that's not how it always is. But um, culturally... It's very ingrained. Yeah. 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 It takes, it takes so generations to shift all that. It does. To, it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and to move it. So you've gone from extreme portrayal to mm-hmm. feeling empowered within yourself. So that's a mm-hmm. huge journey to make. And, and what were some of the footholds, you know, like any kind of journey that you're coming out of trauma there's stepping stones along the way. So what, right. what would you class as pivotal stepping stones for you? One was um, when I finally was able to get back to the U.S., I did marry a person of my own choice. He was Indian. But after three years, I was very numb and very traumatized. And so married someone who, you know, not as abusive as my family, but more emotionally abusive. Um, and, but it was a sense of freedom for me from the family. Like I, he was not of the same cast. And so I kind of defied their (laughs) hopes and dreams for me and, um, you know, was at least independent of them in that way. So Um, how did you get from India back to America? What was the process there? Um, they were, they were looking for a husband for me and they introduced me to, the one freedom I had was to, to agree or disagree with their choice, which oh, I considered good. to be lucky. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. So um, I was introduced to a couple of men there whom I didn't, didn't really feel a connection. And I eventually started working in India. And that my plan at that time was to get financially financial freedom because then I would at least be in India free of them. Mm-hmm. Um, my passport was locked up. So there was all these things I needed to think about. Um, but eventually they sent me here to the U.S. to meet a man in the U.S. And at that point, instead of 
at New York JFK's airport, instead of going to see my parents, I took off in a different direction to a different city with a man I had met in India and ended up marrying him. Um, but it was one of those marriages where it was probably more of convenience and not really love. Um, mm -hmm. It worked in some ways, but it, again, I wasn't, it was a foothold. It wasn't, I wasn't myself. Yeah. So yeah. after several years on that, I finally broke away from everything and chose myself. That was my first step of right. returning to me where I left the marriage. I stopped communicating with my family and in my mind as I left the culture and the religion. It's just like I left everything and um, started graduate school to become a therapist. Um, I don't know what drew me to that, but I just knew it just spoke to me. And, um, and that was an extraordinary experience, as you can imagine, <clears throat> um, yeah. healing and, you know, entering my own therapy. And that just got me on this trajectory of healing and transformation and empowerment, of course. Um, yeah. That's a big journey. And I always think that when we, we teach what we need to learn, you know, like as, as much as anyone that I've met that has the, the authenticity about them, part of the thing that brought them to what they're teaching is that process that that's what they needed to lead, learn within themselves. And then because they have, they can lead others to, you know, I would say for myself, I'm a bit like a tour guide. I'll point out the points of interest. I'll explain them to you. But you've got to decide whether that resonates with you and if that's something you're willing to keep exploring. You can open the door, but you have actually got to walk through. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people look, especially when they're coming from trauma, they're looking for the thing that's going to fix them. But it's always a major process right. of one step after another and a, and a point of discovery. And even when you think you've got it worked out, something else will come along <laughs> and next thing you're going, oh, right, there's another layer to that. I think that we're life is an, an exploration. So, exploration. And you're definitely sitting in it and exploring, coming back to your own authenticity really, isn't it? And it's massively important to do that. It is because without that, you know, there's, there's really nothing. We're just living what we're told and other people's scripts and, um, I think choosing ourselves and really becoming authentic is, is, is probably the biggest gift we can give to ourselves. And, and what do you see in your observations of people and, you know, with your clients and all the rest of it, do you see as respecting our freedom or what do you see as doing with our freedom? When you say we... Just people in general, you know, like, you know, if you're working, because you're obviously working with a lot of people that have come from you know, you're a trauma expert, so they're coming from trauma. Mm -hmm. How are they responding to freedom? Well, you know, I think Western women are born into freedom. And it's a very different experience for somebody who, say, an immigrant, especially who's come from uh, a developing country like, you know, South Asia, where yeah. the freedoms are very different. Um, so it's almost like the assumptions of what's possible is very different for, for Western women. Now, when you say someone with trauma, it's, it's, so, it's so unique because in a way trauma is a sort of imprisonment. Mm, definitely. 
right? It's, it's and, and I agree with what you're saying. Everybody's trauma, regardless if you can say you can have similar experiences, you can have two people having exactly the same experience, but their trauma will be very unique to each individual. And yeah. we forget that. We, um, we forget how personal the trauma is. Yeah. And it goes through a lot of filters of how it develops within a person. And I think it's each one's journey to find their way out of that space of, or their mm. consciousness or how they regard themselves and how they, and how they live, right? Because you know, whether or not there's trauma, there's things we all do where we aren't fully free or we don't, you know, we sabotage ourselves, we hold ourselves back, we tone ourselves down, we give our power away in, in so many ways. So we're, we're doing the same things, whether it's trauma or not trauma, it's just a different um, blueprint, as it were. Um, but I, I think that women, what I am seeing is women are so conscious now, so much more aware and fighting for who they are. Um, mm. And what's really important to them, their needs, their desires, their dreams. And so women are standing up and um, claiming themselves and working, doing their inner work to, to, to be who they truly are. Yeah. And it's, um, it is interesting because when we think of trauma, we think of something, we think of like your life story. You know, mm -hmm. like there's been betrayal and, you know, this this potential life-altering experience or, or fear of that end of life. But sometimes our trauma, and that's where people kind of get confused, can be these little experiences that you're constantly having. So say with you, if you're with, in a, a toxic relationship and someone's calling you names and every time they call you names, stupid or something like that or puts you down, there's a little part of you that's being traumatised and when that's consistent, then you can have the same impact. It can, it, it can have the same impact as what someone that's lived a major trauma and, and it's, I say sometimes with people that I work with, it's sometimes easier for the people to identify those big events and from there because they've got a go-to point to the person that can't work out why I feel so lost and why I feel disconnected from myself and disassociated from feeling because I don't have a tragedy. I don't have a big event to, to pin it on. But when you break down their filters and their belief systems on themselves, and you get to those parts of you where you think you're not worthy and you're not good enough and you're holding yourself back, that causes a type of trauma within our within us. Absolutely. And I think that's very, yeah, and it's very sad that we're not really educated on how that works for us as humans, especially when we're becoming very isolated. We're not, we've not got that tribal support of people that generally want to support us we've sort of become more and more competitive against one another which can also re-traumatize a traumatized person <laughs> what we're doing is not working yeah yeah no, 
You're so yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you're talking about is emotional trauma and and the many forms of it, right? Whether it's, you know, neglect from a parent or a parent who's maybe not available or divorce, or like you're saying, just somebody who puts someone down or bullying. There's so many ways, even even a single comment can be deeply, deeply hurtful. <clears throat> and especially to children, you know, and that's when it, it lodges and these beliefs form. So I think honestly that just about everybody, every person on the planet has some form of trauma or another. Yeah, um, I agree. And, yeah. Um, so it's, <clears throat> it's, I think so much of it is my first um, thing is always awareness and education to learn about your own situation and, and the way you know it is, do you feel good? Do you feel yeah. happy? Right? There's yeah. just those two questions. Do I feel good here with this person or in this situation? Am I happy? Am I being respected? Am I being yeah. encouraged and supported? And if they're not, then something isn't right. And But it's really in our feelings. And like you say, we can get so used to it. We can get, yes. it becomes, or we make excuses for the right for the other person. And disregard and override our own needs our own feelings That's and i think our... women do that very easily mm -hmm. because there's a part of us that are conditioned to be the nurturer so you know you you want to make your relationships work whether it's you know uh um your partner or your work colleague or friendships or whatever i think that women automatically go to how can I be you know make this this situation better and it's normally at the sacrifice of themselves and that's that's the traumatizing part is that you can do that for a little while especially if you feel respected that is not a problem if you feel respected you're quite happy to sort of sacrifice something you, you know you, it's part of a negotiating how to live life but when you feel disrespected, then that sacrifice is actually becoming more like your martyr martyrism, where right. you're putting yourself last on the list, and yeah. and it, that can become a pattern right. that can take us a long way from home, from ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah, you're, you you're right. There's women worldwide do that, and it's so ingrained, you know, because we've we've all inherited what it means and looks like to be a woman right and then mm. there are all these negative ways if, if you're too strong or to speak out too much and um, so but i think we are all collectively learning and redefining that yes yes and i think that's even confusing the men yes you know, it because is. there's a lot of men that are suffering from trauma as well and, they, right. and they've inherited what it is to be a man. So we've got these two sort of clashing changes where we're trying to redefine it and work out how it works. But if we lose that respect for one another, we're in trouble. And that's what yeah. happens. You know, I look at relationships and when people ask me questions about it, I look, one of the first things I ask them is, does it feel like you're in a respectful relationship and someone is supporting you and you're supporting them? And it, regardless of the type of relationship, whether it's a friendship or or your part, life partner, 
or at, at work? Or do you feel like your relationship has deteriorated into an arena and everyone's acting out, you know, acting out this stuff and there's point scoring and there's, you know, this thing that keeps building where you don't know where it's going and you don't feel supported in it. And if you can just break it down into is it in that camp or that camp, then it then it comes back to, right, what do you want to do about that for yourself? And, you know, there's a lot of situations where especially women can't leave a toxic relationship, but how can they manage themselves in that where they're not losing part of them? Because it's easy to say just leave, but it's not always easy for them to do that, you know, financial reasons and lots of other events can happen that can hold people still into um, together, I suppose. So what sort of advice would you give people when they recognise that the relationship has deteriorated into an arena that's just toxic? I think the first thing is to get support, you know, um, maybe from friends or family or whomever you trust who who sees you for who you are and wants the best for you. Um, and if possible, a therapist or, you know, somebody in that, a professional. Uh, but at least to have other support from other women who have your back. And, mm. um, and that's one. And the other is to just educate yourself. Because sometimes when we're so in it, we can't see what we're in. But if you can read about, you know, what is a toxic relationship? What are the signs of emotional abuse? What, how do you feel when you're being, what is emotional abuse? Mm. And also, what are your rights? Yeah, and, true. You know, what are your rights and what resources to just explore what resources available, whether it's in person or online, there's so much available that's free. There's podcasts, there's YouTube, there's so much now. Um, and I think just availing and listening to that, even if you don't know people, listening to podcasts or conversations where other women share their stories, that we get a sense of sisterhood, a connection with, oh, this other woman has walked this path and this is what she did. And we gain yeah. strength from hearing other people's, other women's stories. So just even that can feel empowering and we're not alone or this is, even if we can't see the way out, we can first get support. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, then I think, you know, then I think the strength comes to, to take whatever steps are necessary. Yeah. So when, so you have no contact with your family still or is that, has it mended over time? It has mended. I went through a huge process. I didn't speak to them for over 10 years. And, um, and then I did a lot of very deep healing and I eventually forgave them. It was quite by accident. I was like, it was, you know, a <laughs> spiritual experience. I'll just say that. But I think, you know, it, to I me, like that. I accidentally forgave them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to, but and it just yeah. happened, you know, and, um, but I, it's, I do have contact, but it's with very, very clear boundaries, obviously, and a lot more discernment from my end. My mother's a narcissist. And so, and now I know a lot more 
just psychologically yeah. what was going on with the family. Um, you know, very which is clear. actually empowering because it is. you know I've, I've been I've I've been looking at indifference for for twenty years. I've been writing about indifference, which is on the on when you're looking at narcissism, I look at it as a scale of indifference, like a spectrum of how indifferent that person will be to how their actions, words, etc., are affecting another and what they're prepared to do to another to feel like they're in control and feel like and sometimes it's for the reward of I am superior to you for 10 seconds. That's as bad as all they get. But it's what they'll do to try and feel that in themselves, which is really their insecurities and and all the rest of it. But they do a lot of damage. And that level of indifference, and then I'm I'm watching, I'm watching how easy you can be indifferent to another. You know, like so I, I had a conversation with someone and I was doing something on my phone, one of those moments, and I asked them how to do something. I was like, oh, how do you do this? I, halfway through their conversation. So they were talking, I wasn't listening really. I was in a way, but I wasn't invested. And I could feel then that person felt that I was being indifferent to them. And I thought, oh, that's so, it wasn't my intent, but it was my action. There was a, you know, and I, I sort of got, I was sorry, you know, sorry, I was stuck trying to work this tech out and I couldn't, you know, I was just stuck there for a minute. And I thought we're doing that constantly now to people. You know, we're, we're displaying, it's not our intent but our actions and sometimes our words are coming across as really indifferent to the person that's receiving it. And um, yeah, so what would you what? How do you feel about indifference? And when you see it, how do you react? Well, it happens, like you say, it happens all the time, right? I mean, I think, as you say, you know, we experience it from others, and we ourselves are doing it. I think. Part of it, there's so many reasons. The world is so rapid. Our lives are so yeah. rushed and so full. And so it's like we're trying to, we're running on this hamster wheel to, to do all these different things. And, and But what happens and the result is our sense of humanity and connection and care and empathy for each other gets so diminished. And we, we can be rough with each other or just the connection is take second place has taken second place to productivity and i think that's yeah. a big problem you know because is well i think we each of us have to ask ourselves what is important and it might be different at different phases of our life um but to me indifference is setting you know really setting an intention and um to like how how does how do how do I want to live my life? How do I want to show up with people? And if it means taking some things off the plate, I will take some things off the plate. But can I show up in a full capacity uh, when yeah. I do show up? Right. Um, yeah. And but I then agree. there's also the receiving end of when someone is indifferent to us, we have to work with those feelings and whatever it triggers in us. Right. It might trigger a childhood rejection or a rejecting parent or a, you know, divorced family or an unavailable or, or a past or a dead parent, you know? So it's like this, all these things that can get triggered. And I think it's important for us to surround ourselves again with people who do care and can show care and show affection and 
respect and regard and love us and for who we are to not take it yeah and and i i feel all that stuff supports our soul you know like someone was talking about sitting around the campfire and i was like it's funny we get more honest around the campfire you know because we are actually engaging and it doesn't mean you have to you know spill your whole story but you're willing to be present and you're willing to express you know either a funny story or you know an event and I think sitting around and listening to different people's lives that's why I think memoirs are brilliant is because you get to explore someone else's life from a very safe distance (laughs) and but you can you can see the patterns you can see the traits and you can get an understanding of of what those kind of events feel like which builds our empathy yeah. And so instead of depleting it, whereas the, the quick rapid fire sources of information that we're grabbing now, it's like bang, move, bang, move, and we're not really engaged with anything. We're yeah. just looking for whether it's a pretty picture or um, did I have an instant reaction, move on. So we're not even contemplating what it is that we're reacting to anymore. So I love that you've said, you know, look at your reaction to it as well to well, take notice of your reactions to everything really yeah because i mean i think you i love that you said that about social media because it's how how alive does it make you feel it drains me <laughs> it, you know i feel drained and and, yeah. I, and then if you ask me so what did you like oh, i don't know do you know what i mean it, nothing really ret- retains you know, every now and then I'll see a quote and I go, yeah, you've nailed that. But that's when I then jump off the phone. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I found what I was looking for. See, you know, like, and then I can stay with that and, and contemplate it. But, you know, scrolling. Um, and yet it's become quite a bit of a habit. You know, like if you're sitting still for five minutes, you, you're reaching for your phone, which um, I'm surprised that I'm even doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, put it away. So we'll go to the big question. What do what do you think humanity needs to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve? I, th- I think for me, the, how I re- want to respond to that question is, I think humanity needs to acknowledge the heart. The heart. heart, yeah. The heart. That's a very... Yeah. For ourselves, and when we do that, then it's with each other, that which naturally evolves from there, um, because the world so much runs on the mind, and um, but in the heart, there is there is everything that we've been talking about. There is there's the softening. There's the there's the care. There's the the love, the affection, the the humanity comes from the heart, right? Yeah. And um, I think we've, so many have, have we've pulled away and out of it, um, or can be, not obviously, not everybody, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's yeah. in the heart. It's interesting because I, when I wrote my first book, I explained it as mankind is our physicality and us working from our unconsciousness, our emotional baggage and our 
ideals that we've adopted to try and be successful in a system that we've created. Whereas humanity is a recognition of souls in a physical body Mm -hmm. that are trying to be honest about the reality that they're living and they know it's a shared and a shared arena with other souls in a physical body. And when we operate from that place of recognizing that we're more than just this physical life that you see now, we're this soul that opens up compassion and empathy. And it also opens up accountability and responsibility. So that my actions are going to have a long-term effect for my soul. So choose wisely. And that's your freedom. That's You've right. got the freedom in this life to, right. to make any decision that you want. Um, we don't always have, you know, we are com- restricted in that by our system that we've created and each culture has their own system. But within that system, we have the freedom to decide how we're going to respond. And it's a learning curve. It is, of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) I like the expression on your face then. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) I'm right about that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I also see in some of your stuff that you do sound healing, which is Mm -hmm. quite, I don't know much about sound healing. So can you explain some of that to us as well? Yeah, sound is, um, the ancients have all across the world have used sound to heal. So whether it's shamans or priests or um, indigenous healers, sound has always been a big part of healing. Um, Our bodies understand sound. And we are made from sound. Our bodies understand um, the cells are beautiful geometry. Water is geometry. Um, Chemistry is geometry. And so there are these universal laws of resonance and vibration so that sound is infinitely more powerful than the mind the mind is we're we're tormented and confused so and you know and indoctrinated so the mind is really it's not really our truth but our truth lives in our body and our hearts and with sound so much can be healed without using the mind Mm mm-hmm so therapy relies a lot on the mind and, you know, each personality and it's, but sound goes directly into the body and so much can be released, whether it's emotions or trauma. Um, and it changes the consciousness. It changes the consciousness of the person so that they're able to go into an altered state of whether it's a different brain state where they can see themselves and their lives and experiences from a different perspective. And it expands them into their, their larger self, their, their emotional self, their spiritual self, their intuitive self. And so they are able to, to release and work on the level of consciousness rather than the level of the mind. So it's a subtler level of working and very quick, and people fall into a deep state of peace very quickly. Yeah. Which is, well, and from there, the answers come. People drop into their hearts, and from there, the answers come. People drop into their bodies, and from there, the answers come. <laughs> so it's, it's a wonderful way to get people to the truth of who they are 
so that they can find their own way, their own guidance, um, and let go of whatever they need to let go and come into whoever they are, all that they are. Yeah. So, and that that's part of why I do the words of wisdom is that on the on the Facebook site is because all of us have these beautiful understandings within us. We have this knowledge and we've got big blankets over the top of them and we forget them and then we get in our head and we're thinking about and then we're fear and judgment and we're worrying about what somebody else is going to think and we're, you know, we're planning for the future and it all gets a little messy up there. But when you sit and have honest conversations, those words of wisdom come out as well. So if sound therapy puts you in that place where you can get to that part of you, um, there's a there's a there's a nice step forward, isn't it? Absolutely, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I find that people sit and dwell at home for a long time before they reach out. You know what I mean? Like so, so, so there's there's normally a reason why someone eventually reaches out, and I, I always say, you know, even the the bucket that they're suppressing stuff in gets too full. So it's overflowing and so they can't ignore it anymore. Or there's been an event that they has just thrown them into shock and they're in that dazed state and they know they need some sort of help. But I'm talking about the the person that's starting to awaken to that they want to explore themselves a little bit better, especially, you know, because you're empowering women. What kind of things do they need to be self-reflective about? So where do you think that we need to be more self-reflective on? That would be a better way to ask the question. Yeah, uh, I think one thing to really reflect on is what are your beliefs? What do you believe about yourself in the situation? What do you believe about the people around you in the situation? And what do you believe about life? What's possible for you? And to ask yourself, what do I need? What do I desire? What do I want? What would make me happy or happier or feel yeah. better? Um, you know, just those simple questions. And also, what am I not doing that I want to do? Yeah. Where have questions. my dreams? Where have, what have I dreamed about when I was young or, you know, what was I passionate about that I've let go of? Yeah. What about yeah. me has got lost along the way? Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, we do lose. Or we silent. do lose parts of ourselves. Yeah. And you're not going to go back to where you were, say, 20 years ago. It's right. just you're going to go forward with because all that 20 years or th 10 years or whatever life experience that you've got, is your life's university so you're not going to go back to the person you were you're going to mold into something transform into something new and I think we do that often we just don't realize it we just carry yeah. the we drag along the cart that's got all the crap in it. <laughs> <laughs> part of us is changing the other parts clinging on to what's, what's... <laughs> we're funny how we do things aren't we we're complex we are very complex yeah so all right I think it's time to do flip the book so you're happy to play along yes I'd love to 
Okay, so I have three books. So which book would you like? Book one, two or three? Three. Three. Okay, that is the Spirituality, Evolution and Awakened Consciousness book. So you can pick between one and 188. What page number would you like? 93. 93. There's five paragraphs. What paragraph would you like? Three. Three. Brilliant. It's a small one. Significance is a feeling of being present and aware, expressing truth and acknowledging our presence. Mm. I can give it to you again if you like. Okay. Significance is a feeling of being present and aware, expressing truth and acknowledging our presence. I think that sums your life up. That you sums all our lives up. <laughs> yeah, well, true. that's true. But I think you recognise very young that your life was significant. And I don't mean it has to be significant to anyone else by you. Mm-hmm. I think you got that. That's why freedom was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's What did it make you think or feel? I love it because I hadn't really associated significance with presence and truth. And um, the word that came to me really was more sovereignty. But I, I love this because it's we have the power to make our own lives significant. Right, yeah. with our own presence and with our truth. They don't have to be significant to anybody else. But this is sort of the essence of authenticity is what I hear in this paragraph, that when you make your life significant to you, then everything begins there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that part of what we're doing now is we're pulling our sense of significance away from ourselves and, you know, it becomes, you know, how popular we are. So we're, we're, change, we're, we're not recognising the significance in ourselves just for the life that we're living. Regardless if anyone notices what you're doing or not, you are significant. I'll just, I'm just going to read the next part of the, para, the next paragraph out for you. Our significance is felt strongly when we are our authentic selves, emanating and trusting our soul instinct to share our truth. Sharing is giving freely with no hidden agenda. Sharing our truth is being. If another is fortunate to be present and to resonate with the truth of our energy, our presence will be naturally significant to them. This could be for a fleeting moment, but it is felt and it cannot be owned, replicated, orchestrated or controlled. When another person acknowledges our significance, it is because they have been present and shared the same space and felt the essence of our natural being. I like that for you too. That is so beautiful. Yeah, so sharing your story gives other people a way of looking at the significance of your journey. But whether someone reads your book or not, it's still significant. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's it speaks also to, you know, we've talked about self-worth and self-esteem, that 
to just do what is important to you. Yeah. And and that's everything. Yeah, I agree. Beautiful way to finish. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 